everybody. It's me again. You just can't get rid of me. I know it's been a, a interesting uh, run of solo episodes for me. So uh, for me, so bear with me. Um, I just had some stuff to talk about, and Dustin was not in town for us to tape these episodes. So I'm kind of doing it solo, but it's cool because I plan for this. A lot of the stuff is coming from just me, anyways. So um, the show will go on. Yeah, uh, regardless. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple of things tonight and their recommendations. I saw this as a continuation of our discussion about Christian cinema that we um that we put out a few episodes ago. Um, and I want to talk about The Outsider miniseries and the Book of Eli film. The Outsider is a a show on HBO. It it came out in early 2020, right before the pandemic reached the United States proper, and um, which is probably why a lot of people forgot about it because you know about a month or two after it came out, there's a lot of stuff to worry about. Um, but it's based on a Stephen King book, also from twenty from 2019, which I actually had read at the time. I didn't see the show. I heard the show was coming out. I'd already read the book. And I also didn't have HBO, I don't think. So I never watched it until recently. And The Book of Eli is a film that came out in 2010. And for whatever reason, I just have not gotten around to seeing it uh, for over a decade, even though I only ever heard really good things about it. So I ended up watching these things and uh, pretty uh, close to each other. And I was struck by how much and how well they both told the the story of faith. Of course, the book of Eli much more explicitly than the outsider, although even the outsider does it as well. So the outsider is a, is a story about this town. And I think in the book, it's in like Oklahoma or somewhere in the, in the kind of the, the upper South or the Midwest uh, in this, in the series, they make it Georgia, but it's this, rural town and there's a, there's, a, there's murder that happens um, with this little boy and there's clear cut evidence that this baseball coach did it. And um, like there's eyewitnesses, his fingerprints are there and um, blah, 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 except he wasn't in town. And so they've got him dead to rights on all the evidence, except the guy has a an ironclad alibi on tape that he was elsewhere at the time of the murder. And you find out through the course of the story that there is something else that that is the cause of this crime. And I won't get into it any further because I don't want to reveal it to you in case you haven't seen the series or you have not read the book. I recommend both. Obviously, I always recommend reading the book first um, in these scenarios because. Um, well, I'll explain why in a second, but always read the book first. If the book exists, always read the book first. Um, I'll talk about it now. The reason why you should do that is because it was intended first to be read as a novel, to be experienced through the written word and for you to picture the events in your mind. You experience the narrative through prose. You experience the narrative through inner thoughts and inner, inner monologues and descriptive language on the part of the author that you cannot give on the screen. And the surprise twists and turns of the plot are meant to be experienced first as novelty through the novel. 
what's good about watching a television show adaptation is, yes, you already know how it ends, but one, they might change some stuff because it's better on screen. So there's little surprises. And again, yes, you know where the film is going and the story is going. So you're not surprised by plot elements, but what you get to experience as a new level from a reader's perspective is you get to see how they executed the vision that was on the page before. So you get to experience someone else's vision of this story. Um, even though you already know the plot points of the story. If you watch a show first, you're experiencing the novelty of the story, the story beats, and the way it looks. And so by the time you're reading it, you only, you're only you comparing it already to a, a, a picture and sound that someone else has imagined for you, and, and you know what's going to happen. I'm experiencing this right now with Sharp Objects. I watched the series before I read the book, and I'm the same for Gone Girl, and it's harder to do that because I'm just trying to picture Amy Adams voice reading these words instead of just reading the words. Um, and the same for Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck. Like it's just, it's, it's, it does affect how you interpret, how you take in the story. So just a brief little rant there. If you're going to consume this sort of stuff, consume it in the medium that it was created in to begin with film and TV, great medium, you know, but if a story existed as a book first, I'm sorry, it's better. It's best as a book. And if you want to watch the show and make a comparison, you can't watch the show, then read the book and go, Oh, the books was boring. Well, the book was boring because you knew what was going to happen and you already watched it. So it is more boring compared to a passive experience, like watching a television show, you know, but if you do it in the reverse order as you're supposed to, you might enjoy them both. All right. So there you go. Anyways, <laughs> the outsider takes characters through this mystery towards this, I'll go ahead and say it's a supernatural explanation for the the events of the film. And as in many science and is as in much of science fiction, and of course in Stephen King, you've got characters, some characters who know what's going on or other characters learn it and accept it. Other characters are very slow to trust or slow to believe what's happening. And that's the case for our character, uh, for our main character, Ralph, um, played by Ben Mendelsohn in the show. Um, it's hard for him as a very, very cynical, jaded, and practical man to accept that there might be a uh, an entity that is causing all of this and the things that it must be capable of that they are seeing increasing amounts of evidence for. And you've on opposing him, you've got this character, this, this private investigator, Holly Gibney, uh, played by Cynthia Erivo on the show. And she's tremendous on the show. Um, she admits at a certain point that you've got to be open to this kind of stuff or else you are ignoring evidence. You're ignoring a possibility. If it, even though it's it, the fact that it seems crazy is irrelevant um, she at one point says that she often needs skeptics more than she needs believers. It's easy to believe. It's easy for, it's easy to amass believers. And it's easy to have a bunch of believers telling you, no, no, Holly, you're right. No, no, I agree. I, I, I follow you. I know it's, I, I, I think that that's what it is too. And it gets me thinking about the importance of open-mindedness on both ends the show and the book almost seems to be explicitly about faith in that way. I don't think Stephen King's religious, nor the, does, would he 
perpetuate <laughs> organized religion on purpose, I don't think, but it's up to me as the reader <laughs> to fill this work with my interpretation. Of course, f- faith doesn't necessarily mean religion. Um, it could just mean um, hearing the other person out, not even faith, just understanding, right? Um, but believers and skeptics need to accept each other. They make each other stronger, but they have to come to their beliefs at their own pace. This is very much said in the later episodes of the show in, in dialogue. And it's really interesting because I'm at this point um, where I'm a skeptic. I'm the one who's like, well, that can't be it. You know, like, you know, and even though I feel very secure now in my soft agnosticism, I still encounter plenty of things that I just can't explain. Um, not, not, not a ton of things. Obviously I'd be kind of stupid to be so blase about it. Like, Oh yeah. You know, and then just like, we were all okay. And, uh, and, and everything within a foot of us around us was destroyed, but not us. You know, it's like, well, that's pretty miraculous. I wouldn't be ignoring stuff like that. But um, needless to say, I'm not saying this as someone who's like, y'all should go to church. Of course, you know, I'm saying this as like, no, no, I I, I understand cynicism and skepticism a thousand percent because that's me now. Um, and I was very refreshed and could identify with this character trying to make an appeal for my open-mindedness. You forget that, you know, it takes a leap of faith on either end to believe something. It, you know, I always liken um, hardcore Christians and hardcore atheists to be about the same. You both, <laughs> you both believe something um, that really just comes down to force of will. You really believe that you know, something is true. You really believe that that thing is not true and that that thing doesn't even exist. And neither of you really have any evidence. I was comfortable with agnosticism because it's like, at least I can accept and be open that maybe there's something. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I'm not going to say there's not, that'd be intellectually dishonest of me. Right. Um, but being open is more than just saying like, well, I'm not going to say there's not because that's kind of cowardly. Um, maybe. Uh, but believers and skeptics accepting each other um, is not something we see a lot. Um, what we see a lot of in discourse around faith, religion, and or lack thereof is just people saying, I'm right and you're wrong. The other people saying like, no, I'm right and you're wrong. And Atheists seem afraid to even allow the possibility that maybe there's a God because they just say, no, there's not one. I don't believe there's one and therefore there's not one. I'm not even open to the possibility that there might be one. You can't say to an atheist, yeah, but what if, what if you're wrong? What happens if you're wrong? You know, and the same way you can't go to a Christian and say, what happens if you're wrong? What if there is no God? What if there's no God? What are you going to do? Like, are you, are you comfortable with how you spent your life? Have you treated people? You know, like there's no talking to an extreme group of people on either side. Um, but if they were to do that, 
atheists and agnostics would make a Christian's belief stronger or at least more honest. Because then you could go to a Christian and say, well, if there is no God, are you satisfied with how you've lived your life? And the right kind of Christian and the honest Christian would say, yes, because I've still loved everyone. I've still loved my neighbor. I've still um, acted in the interests of my loved ones before myself. I never did anything selfish. And I, I was very conscious of how I treated other people, how, how, how I would want to be treated. You know, that person just go, no, how, how dare you? How dare you suggest there's no God? They just go, well, if there's no God, then I'm still happy with how I live my life. Right. If you go to, you know, if someone says, well, listen, Mr. Agnostic, you know, if there is a God, are you happy with how you left your life, how you lived your life? Agnostic, an honest agnostic would say, well, if it turns out I'm wrong, then um, I'm still satisfied because I, out of principle, treated other people how they wanted to be treated. Um, I've studied lots of philosophy and lots of ethics. And so while I've never, I haven't followed a religious doctrine, I've nonetheless come to a similar place that you are where I give lots of my money to charity and I've treated people how they want to be treated. And I have tried not to act out of self-interest ever. And I have tried to show love and compassion and empathy towards my fellow human beings every day of my life. I was refreshed by this show that's otherwise just kind of okay, sparking this idea in me about faith and belief and skepticism and listening. And again, come to your beliefs at your own pace. And you got to, and I feel like when you, when you, when you do that from an honest, open place, if you are, especially if you're starting over, just kind of going like, yeah, well, what if there isn't, you know, you can't be afraid to even just think what if there's not as if thinking, what if there's not will cause you to just completely drop your belief system. Because if it does, your belief system was not very strong to begin with. If your belief system collapses just by asking, what if I'm wrong, then you need to start over anyways and come to it again from the outside. Once you've thought more about it, if, but if your belief system is strong You've probably already thought of this, but thinking, you know, what if I'm wrong? And it's like, well, then it doesn't, it still doesn't change what I need to do. There you go. You're ironclad. The book of Eli, the book of Eli is a, a is a post-apocalyptic film, right? It was, it was directed by the Hughes brothers, right? Albert and Alan, um, and stars Denzel Washington, and Gary Oldman, Mila Kunis, Ray Stevenson, um, and uh, and it's excellent. It's excellent. Where's this playing right now? Where's this currently on? It's on Tubi, and it's on HBO Max also. So you can check it out on Max or Tubi. So if you've got Max, if you've got the commercial-free tier, that's going to be the best. Um, but if you have the ad tier or you have Tubi, you're going to have to deal with ads, which I did. Um, the book of Eli is also about faith. Um, and I really thought that it was so effective. And I love that the villain, Gary Oldman, who's on a quest to get books, <laughs> among other things. That's what he's that's that's his he's he's like the leader of this town in the apocalypse. And uh Eli, uh Denzel Washington's character is this, this lone traveler who's carrying what is revealed to be 
a Bible and Gary Oldman wants the Bible. And I really was amazed that a film, a feature, a Hollywood film acknowledged the importance of the Bible and acknowledged that it had the power to bring hope to people. This is in 2010. I mean, it's not like it was the early 20. It was, I was kind of shocked, you know, it, it wasn't just a saccharine, like this book can bring hope. It's the Bible. I appreciate that the villain knows the history of abuse of the masses from the sword of religion. Gary Oldman wants the Bible so that he can control people. And the reason he thinks it will work is because it's worked before. Throughout human history, in fact, religions were invented as a way to control people, just like money uh, and other things. Um, but even 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 things that weren't specifically, even if you don't believe that you know certain religions exist to to corral and bring people under a shared belief system so that they're more likely to cooperate with each other because they're all accountable to the same God. Um, even if you don't believe that that's how they started, it certainly is true that people in power throughout the centuries as head of those religions did, did abuse power and use God as a bludgeon to get people to conform. It's absolutely true. It's still a problem today. Um, you know, abuse of abuse of, of of religion. I love how driven Eli is to deliver the word of God, but he also recognizes that his flaw was in spreading the word without living it. There's there's multiple times in the movie where he leaves somebody in a bad situation because he's not he doesn't want to risk exposure and risk his mission. He's trying to get that Bible somewhere, and he believes that's and that's that's an important quest for him to to to. He's trying to get it to somewhere where it can be spread. We'll just say that. And he learns eventually that in leave in in uh, letting people suffer in order for him to complete his task, he is not living out the values of the text he's carrying that he finds to be of utmost value. Um, and that putting the mission at risk to enact the values is just. And of course, the idea here being that spreading an ideology is about spreading it through lived example first and through the word of mouth second, or not at all. Eli eventually is willing to risk the Bible, the Bible getting where it needs to go in order to be himself an example of it. I thought that was powerful. And the reason that this is a follow-up to the Christian cinema episode is that Dustin and I talked about how so many of these films flying the flag of religion and flying the flag of, you know, we're going to do this right, we're going to, you know, um, and just how ineffective they can be and how hard it can be for them to reach a new audience outside of Christians already. And, you know, what can Hollywood do, what can Christian storytellers do to spread their values or, or, or make more movies that reflect those values? They exist. They're just not going to be quite in the package you're expecting. This is an R-rated neo-Western film in an apocalypse. And there's bad things happening to people here. 
and there's characters making complicated choices and there's a couple of shots at religion. But the message overall is, is about faith, is about living your values, living the word, in this case, the word of God. And it's explicit in the storytelling. The Outsider, you have to stomach a movie about horrific crimes with graphic violence and mature themes and characters making complicated choices again. Not the kind of stuff you can show at a youth group. But if you're adults wanting to see good films where your values are um, espoused, those are good places to start. And it's important to recognize that they're out there. That's a heady one. I know I kind of, I don't know if you listened all the way through this episode, I applaud you because I know that listening to one person just talking to the void is kind of weird for you maybe, but I don't know. I'm, I'm working out these, these, these thoughts, um, you know, so I'm not, I didn't write up a big long essay, um, to articulate this any better. I just kind of wanted to spitball with you a little bit, but that's what I found interesting about those two things about the outsider and the book of Eli is they both brought up very important things for me. Um, again, like I'm walking through life right now, kind of not, uh, at all adhering to the religion that I was raised in. And I'm comfortable with that. Finally, I wasn't for a while, but I knew that something wasn't, um, stable about it for me. But as you can see, I'm not threatened or undermined by pro-Christian storytelling that is good. And it's not even pro-Christian. It's just not anti-faith. Um, again, I appreciate that a studio in Los Angeles made a, and even a writer like Stephen King, like would, would make a story wherein a character says open-mindedness either way is important because the way a practical person comes to open-mindedness of, of ludicrous or lofty concepts is just think of it as I'm following a lead. I need to rule it out. You know, I need to rule out (laughs) this silly explanation. Um, because if things continue to happen, suggesting this unlikely thing is happening, I'm now ignoring evidence because I don't want to be open-minded. I don't want to acknowledge that maybe there's a God or maybe there's a shape-shifting alien or maybe there's a, you know, crazy woman in the woods or whatever. Like that's the thing there. And I love that a Hollywood movie shows a character willing to die for a book that he recognizes carries so much power and he won't allow it to fall into the wrong hands to save his own life. And he'll put his life at risk to, to get it back. And then then he'll put his life and the book itself at risk in order to be a living example of what's in the book. I thought that was beautiful. I thought the outsider's great, but you know, the book of Eli was a beautiful film. So if you've seen, if you've not seen either, um, Again, Book of Eli is on HBO, so on, on Max, so is The Outsider. So if you got them, they're both on there. You should check it out for sure. That's it for this episode. And I just want to talk about that real quick. 
Um, it made me think, and that's good. That's what I enjoyed so much about them. I finished it and I was like, huh, there's some subtext here and there's some stuff worth talking about. So there it is. You're welcome. All right. Well, I'm not sure what the next episode is in the lineup. I've kind of shuffled these around a little bit to make them work. Um, but yeah, uh, Guardian 3 is coming up. Get excited because I am very excited indeed. Until then, cheers. Enjoy it. Whatever it is you're doing, enjoy it. Talk to you next time.